think that's a positive thing to talk about stuttering, not fluency, because just using that term of fluency, it really does drive drive the therapeutic message towards increasing fluency, increasing smoothness of speech. And again, it returns us to that sort of centering of not stuttering good, stuttering bad. And I think that's a flawed paradigm. Welcome to Some Stutter Law, a podcast by the Communication Collaborative. Some Stutter Law is Newfoundland and Labrador's first podcast about living with communication differences and disorders. We speak directly to people living with speech and language disorders and others such as speech language pathologists, researchers, educators, family members, and allies. We use inclusive language and themes to help rebuild confidence and hope by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. My name is Greg O'Grady and I am a person who stutters and the host of Some Stutter Law. Some Stutter Law mission is dismantling and rebuilding communication disorders. Let's start listening. Some Stutter Law mandate is in the spirit of Newfoundland and Labrador's humor, robust and frank interactive discussions, Some Stutter Law podcast aims to rebuild confidence and hope for people who live with communication differences and disorders by dismantling myths, stigma, stereotypes, and barriers. Some Stutter Law podcast objectives are raising awareness, education, understanding, and acceptance of communication differences and disorders by providing support, current information, research, and resources. Raising awareness that communication differences and disorders can impact a person's life emotionally, educationally, physically, socially, and vocationally. Creating a safe space where guests can be themselves without fear of being judged. Today, Some Stutter Law welcomes guests. Jan Tistra. Have, have I pronounced your name, surname right, Jan? Um, it's Tilstra. A lot of consonants. Okay. L-S. Tilstra. Yes. Okay. Today, we welcome Janet Tilstra. Yes. Janet uh, Janet is a speech-language pathologist and an associate professor in the Department of Communication Disorders at St. Cloud State University, St. Cloud, Minnesota, USA. She completed her undergraduate and master's degree in speech-language pathology at the University of Iowa and her doctorate in in Educational Psychology at the University of Minnesota. Dr. Tilstrat teaches undergraduate and graduate courses on stuttering, language development, disorders, and research methods. She is an active clinical supervisor and passionate ally dedicated to amplifying the voices of people living with communication differences and disorders. She enjoys mentoring students, consulting with nonprofit agencies, and designing innovative training modules. On a personal level, level Dr. Tilstra lives along a slow stretch of the Mississippi River. She loves kayaking, nuanced conversations, books with great character development, all things music, and winning board games. She strives to think like a scientist, foster potential in others, live a balanced life, and make the world a better, a little better, a little bit better. So uh, thank you very much, Jan, for joining us this morning. So it, we are very honored to have you part of our podcast today. 
Thank you so much for the invitation, Greg. I'm just delighted to be here and have a conversation with you. Okay. So I, I'm wondering now, Janet, would you would you be able to share a little bit about your history uh, in terms of how how did you get in, into the world of embracing stuttering and uh, you know and you know, communication disorders? Sure. Um, that goes back a lot of years. Um, when I was a student at the University of Iowa, um, at that point in time, there was a, a summer residential program where school-aged children who either stuttered or had a um, dyslexia or significant learning disability or cochlear implants would come to the campus for a six-week block of time and they would have personal goals they were working on related to their education or their speech or their language development. So as an undergraduate student, um, I, gosh, how old was I? Probably 20 years old. Um, for two summers, I was part of the live-in staff in the dorm. So I was sort of the, the camp counselor, if you will, for a small group of children for that six-week block of time. And so um, both years I was assigned with um, young, I guess I'd say school-age boys, a group of three school-age boys who stuttered. And so I was just really immersed into the world of thinking about how to be, uh, I guess, almost a coach, um, a teacher, someone seeing the day-to-day -day experiences of school-age kids who stutter. Um, that was just a really powerful supplement to my more academic coursework that I was having at, um, at the University of Iowa. And as you know, there's a long history of stuttering, stuttering research, stuttering methods, some of it positive, some of it not so positive. So again, just that foundational um, experience working at that summer residential program and um, the coursework that was happening simultaneously, I think really grounded me in thinking about and learning about stuttering. Mm. When I, I, I was doing some uh, you know, research recently, uh, Janet, I, 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 I came across your, uh, you know, you know, your, your article in, in Astra Leader Live, and this, you know, this, you know, this. You know, this is your article in the American Speech Language Hearing Association, and uh, so the uh, the uh, the name of the article is "From Speech Helper to Ally: A Clinician uh, Changes Her Own Perspectives of Speech Fluency and Encourages Others to Re-Examine Theirs." I uh, you know I found uh, this uh, this article very refreshing yeah, I actually you know appreciated this and uh, I you know you know because I mean it's it's unusual to 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 hear a you know you know to you know to to hear a speech language pathologist you know like shifting paradigms you know, you know, you know, moving, you know, moving, you know, moving away, not necessarily away from you know, from a clinical perspective, but also, in, you know, in, in embracing the importance of being uh, being an, an ally with people who stutter. And and I liked how you you know you opened up the the article. It says that for years I worked clinically with people who stutter and their families. I mainly focus on building clients' capacity, building knowledge, teach speech techniques, boost confidence, uh, rinse, repeat, add a dash of behavior, change from significant people in the person who stutters world, voila, job is done. Would you, know, would you like to... To elaborate on, on this for us. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, when I was thinking about the the article and the message, um, and just thinking about my own journey, um, I wanted to start with thinking about myself as really a well-intended person, a well-intended clinician. I think I'm well-trained. I've had um, lots of experience that is thinking beyond just speech, but I started to realize I was still drawing my circles around the individual making changes and not thinking so much beyond the individual and the people who immediately touch upon them. And I think um, two things have started to shift for me. One is really thinking about, I guess I'd say the water we swim in, um, and I mean societal water, and the way that people with communication differences are perceived, and stuttering as one exemplar of that. And on some level, I mean, I've known that for years, but I don't think I thought I had much responsibility or agency in the domains outside of the therapy room. It was like, this is what I do. These are the boundaries of my professional work. And I'm, that's where I'm starting to shift is, really, is that the limit of what I can talk about, think about, do, and influence? And I would say no. I, th I think there are places where I can stretch and influence a little bit more. So that's where I'm at. Mm. Uh, when uh, when you talk about uh, changing paradigms, you also mentioned in your article, while many speech language pathologists are teaching speech strategies to people who stutter, many researchers, authors, SLPs, and public speakers are questioning the value placed on perfect speech fluency. Is success for a person who stutters overcoming stuttering or living with stuttering? And uh, so as, as a person who stutters, I mean this is part of my challenge as well because it's very difficult for me still at this senior age to you know to you know to accept Greg O'Grady as a person who stutters and uh, as you know, with a history of being a covert stuttery, it's always a challenge to 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 even hear myself. And and even when I sort of preview these uh, podcasts as well, I still have difficulty, uh, 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 you know, dif you know, difficulty uh, uh, hearing myself stutter. So so uh, Janet, would you talk about, uh, you know, like uh, when when we talk when you talk about perfect speech fluency. Well, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what does that mean in living with studying? Like, right. I I think that in speech pathology, the origins of our discipline are from psychology, from medicine, from linguistics, and we have this deep, deep grounding in the medical model of treatment, which is what are the symptoms? Let's identify what's wrong. Let's treat that. We'll fix it. It'll get better. The person's life will be better. And I think that um, all of healthcare has had a shift to more person-centered care. And so thinking about not just what are the symptoms, but what are the person's values? What are the person's priorities? What's going to help with those larger life outcomes, whether it's communication, whether it's the way that Greg looks at himself as a person, an intellectual, a communicator in this world. And uh, I think it calls to, to question whether just treating the overt behavioral symptom that I see is going to help Greg or whoever my um, patient is get to that place of a better life outcome. And I think there's lots and lots of rich social science research that's happening related to shame, related to um, what's the cost for people who stutter to try to kind of like cover that and, and pass as fluent or keep from stuttering. And there's just evidence that there's really tremendous psychological uh, consequences of that hiding stuttering. And so I think 
um, those of us who are in the therapeutic fields where we're doing therapy with people who stutter, um, I think we have some hard questions about what's our historic emphasis as a field, maybe not exclusively on fluency as the outcome, but fluency on a pretty centered outcome. So even if you have an approach where you're you're talking about approach avoidance, you're having people do voluntary stuttering, you're trying to do some desensitization. Fluency is still a big, historically a big part of what most speech pathologists have done. And I think the research, people's experiences, the stories of adults who stutter are really helping us to just question some of those assumptions and think about what are the, the new paradigms um, how do we progress forward, allowing the person who stutters to be part of the decision-making process of what pieces of intervention are most important to them, and, and that knowing that that may shift at certain points in time, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you, you, you know, uh, you just mentioned as well, Janet, that the... Uh, Recent uh, research indicates the greatest predictor of psychological distress in adults who stutter is the degree to which they conceal their, their stuttering. Not the severity of their stutter, uh, but trying to pass as affluent. And uh, I. I, 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 I Support this because, as I mentioned earlier, that with you know with uh, with you know with the history of being a covert stutterer, that uh, when one is when one is so caught up with trying to sort of uh, pass as a fluent speaker, that when one loses a sense of identity, you, you, you know you, you know you you know you you know it really impacts one's quality of life, and so so how, how you know. How would you sort of you know work in a work you know work with a person who came to your office and said, uh, uh, Jan, I am a covert stutterer. How can I live more authentically, and you know, you know learn to you know, learn to accept my my stutter? I mean this 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 is a, a lot for an SLP to deal with, <laughs> especially when someone first comes to the office, you know. Right, right. There's some um, really good training in the areas of solution-focused brief therapy, also motivational interviewing, um, which I think are great resources for speech and language pathologists to pursue. And I think that that can help you in terms of starting to, to think about how to have those conversations um, because they are complicated and, and difficult and you don't want to minimize or simplify the, the challenge of a person making a choice to stutter freely when they've been a covert stutterer for years. Um, so I think the first thing that I do is, is um, if you came in and you had been hiding your stuttering for years, I probably would talk about, you know, tell me, tell me what brought you in today. And I would want to hear what's going on with you. What are your experiences? Um, you know, as we're talking, I'm I'm actually I'm curious about your story if you're willing to talk mm. about it, Greg. But so for you, at at that point when you were coming in to seek treatment, um, why was that? What was there a turning point, or when did you decide to come in? Uh, it was uh, uh, for me, uh, Janet. It was sort of a you know. Um, uh, you know, I, I I had had started a new job, and uh, so, so you know, and and uh, this you know uh, this you know this job actually required a lot of communication, yeah. and uh, so uh, I, you know I, I had learned in the past that uh, by depending on old tricks like word substitution, it often got myself in in the trouble. And uh, because often when you know when you know when a covert stutter is as well as as, as I feel that uh, that uh, that overt stutter is as well, uh, I always have a, well has some tendency to uh, uh, 
forward substitution, avoiding social situations, introducing themselves. And so, you know, so I thought to myself that if, I mean, so, so this is where the, uh, this is where the, I was being challenged because if I wanted to progress in this position, I needed to be more, more open and more honest about my stuttering because uh, it also sort of, uh, you know, it also, it also sort of can really, if I'm word substitution, I can easily lose the message. So I felt that I had, I needed to, to really sort of, Focus on my stuttering because uh, Janet, my history is is that I used, I used to have a very severe stutter because I remember the worst scenario was that an example was was when you know when I left Newfoundland and and lived you know lived with you know you know with you know with a number of people I used to be uh, had this phobia about uh, being asked my name. And so, also, my my, my worst uh, memory was that I, I you know I, I I actually used to have to have a second characteristic of stuttering, like what is your name? My my name. So I used to lift my arm like this and say, look now, look now, look now. I would look at the ceiling, and I remember there's a group of people around me, all strangers. So I would say, look now, look now, look now. My name is Greg O'Grady. So I mean, you know, so really, that's how severe my stuttering was. I mean, you know, we all, you know, we cannot. There's different types of stuttering. So, so you know, so we managed to uh, get through that. But so, so I actually went for speech therapy, and back then I was focused on the clinical component, meaning that I really wanted to get some tools and targets to help me be more fluent. A lot of emphasis was on the fluent. And uh, so really, uh, this is where I was sort of uh, focusing on. And it's it's hard for uh, uh, it's hard for anyone in speech therapy to uh, to try to to implement targets. You know what I mean? Especially when you're nervous, when you're upset, anxious, that adds a lot of frustration as well because you you, you actually feel like you're a failure, and 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 that and, and that reinforces. The, the feelings of embarrassment, lack of confidence. So that's my history. I was focusing on the clinical component. But I feel now as I'm older, more wiser, <laughs> we hope, <laughs> that uh, it's so important. And, and I'm, I stress this a lot because it, sometimes I feel the emotional, well, I shouldn't say sometimes, I feel that the emotional component of stuttering is so uh, not really addressed as much as it should be. And this is one of the reasons why we have this uh, the, some stutter law podcast because it, it you know it it, it 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 is a platform for building awareness and acceptance, but also to talk more about the the emotional component. And so when when I read your article, because it actually talked a lot about uh, you know um, you know self you know self acceptance, and I think this is where we were depending. And this is where the paradigm shift you're, you're talking about, moving from like the, the clinical focus, not only and, uh, and, and you know the you know, the, you know, the the clinical focus, but also being an ally because you you really support the you know the you know, the um, SLP in 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 embracing the whole person, not 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 coming from a clinical point of view. I'm not too sure if I answered your question. <laughs> No, I I mean I think there's some I think there's some commonalities with your experience and and what I've observed with um clients or patients we use different terms. Um but often people will come seeking support therapy when there's some kind of of a shift in their life, a new job, maybe you have a new partner, Maybe you're a young adult and you're transitioning from you know your family of origin to sort of your own life and thinking about what do I want to be about. So I think that's a very common scenario, and I, I it's a really important time to think about those bigger questions. So speech tools can be a piece of what the speech pathologist is addressing. Um, but I think understanding what is the life impact of living as a person who stutters, you know, what behaviors are you 
changing that maybe you don't want to change, but you feel you're not participating in your life in the way that you want to because of whether it's shame or how you're uh, perceiving yourself as a person who stutters. Um, I, I think there are some excellent sort of simplified paradigms that I pointed out a few of those to SLPs in, in the article that I wrote. And they've been very helpful for me. So thinking, I mean, the first few that rise to the top are um, the three E's by Luck and Gore. And it's, they're looking at just categorizing types of intervention strategies as related to ease, which could be ease of communication, speaking, um, education, helping a person understand their own stutter, and educating important people around them. And then empowerment, really um, doing things that can be a whole list under that. But for example, just like you did, you disclose right away, I'm a person who stutters. It changes um, maybe the pressure for you and also is really empowering other people to understand you're a person who stutters and um, kind of understand the expectations that are going to help you personally. Um, similar to that is a structure by transcending stuttering, which is categorized in four areas, which is self-knowledge. So again, knowing about stuttering, knowing about your own experience, um, self-awareness. So really being aware of not just your stuttering, but also what kind of thoughts, what kind of feelings, what kind of um, changes might you be making because of being a person who stutters. Um, and then in the transcending stuttering, also self-adjustment and self-advocacy are a piece of it. So in the self-adjustment category, that might be changing behaviors, not avoiding words. It might be not avoiding situations. It might be using some kind of a speech technique that you find helpful. And so it's just really broadening out the possibilities of what kinds of things that a therapist can be a, a guide for um, helping the individual who stutters as they're making choices about what are their priorities, what's important to you right now as a person who's coming in seeking help. Um, and so it's really flipping it's not saying the SLP is not an expert, but it's it's not saying, um, so it's not like the, the SLP is the almighty expert, right? It's like the SLP brings expertise. The person who's seeking therapy brings expertise of themselves and their life. And it's, it's combining those two and really co-designing the priorities of treatment. And so I'm really, uh, that's that sort of centering the person and their priorities and their choices um, is really an important piece of where I would want to get, uh, I think your initial question was in that first, in that first session. So we'd want to be starting to really bring both my expertise, your experience, your priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You you, know, uh, you uh, mentioned that uh, part of the uh, you know part of the clinical component for speech therapy would be to to work with a person who stutters to you know uh, to stutter with ease. This is an interesting. Do you want, uh, would you be able to elaborate on that a little bit? Stuttering sure. with ease. Sure. Sure. I mean, historically, there's kind of two big buckets of the kind of speech tools or speech approaches we have. Um, and they're, they're not really as clean these days as maybe historically, but there was the, the fluency shaping category, which is let's change the, the arc of your entire speech pattern so that we're doing things in speaking that are counter to stuttering. So when you see prolonged speech like this, or um, easy onset, those tend to be in the camp of fluency shaping. And then we have another bucket, which historically was stuttering modification. And so that approach is saying, let's not change the entire arc of your speech, 
but let's look at those moments of stuttering and and often people who stutter um, in an intention to get through stuttering or to keep moving forward with their speech can infuse some tension or tricks to avoid words or sounds that they know are difficult. And so sometimes that whole, um, what am I doing to try not to stutter can become part of the stuttering and can make it messy and complicated. And sometimes some of those side things uh, can become bigger than if the person just freely stuttered. So the stuttering modification approach, um, again, historically is really to stutter with less tension, to stutter um, with like freely approaching the word, using less tension. If you stutter using a cancellation, like re restating the word um, with less tension. So that's the historic contrast. Mm -hmm. would, uh, would this fall in line now with a volunteer stuttering approach? Somebody that stutters on purpose, like my, my, my name is Greg O'Grady. So is, is that a form of uh, like working towards, uh, uh, working towards self-acceptance? Yeah, um, voluntary stuttering can be a really powerful method for a lot of things. Um, one is self-acceptance. Um, it can be empowering as well. Um, also, it can be a way for a person to um, have control of how they are going to stutter because I'm, I'm doing it in this case voluntarily. So I'm going to say, hi, my name is Jed, 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 Janet, and I'm repeating that first syllable, um, but I'm doing it in a voluntary way. And so it's, I'm taking control of what's the level of tension in that moment when there are lots of other moments when stuttering may feel like it happens or I lose control. Um, so it's building the experience of stuttering differently. It also, some people who stutter will use that as a way to disclose that they stutter. Um, some people will say overtly, hi, I'm Janet, I stutter. Others will say, hi, I'm J -J 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 Janet Tilstra, and do a voluntary stutter as an indicator to the listener that I'm a person who stutters. Um, mm -hmm. So it can serve multiple purposes, is the short answer. Mm -hmm. If, uh, you know, uh, if a person who stutters, uh, uh, have, have, you know, have, have, have taken, uh, taken speech therapy, so, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, based, you know, based on the lived experiences I've, I've been listening to from, from, uh, from, from various people that stutter, sometimes the speech therapy, if it doesn't have the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? If, 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 if the speech therapy is focuses on strictly on the the clinical component of therapy, it 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 you know can also be it can also be a double edged sword because one can use the clinical component as a way of masking their stuttering without you know without you know really addressing the emotional component. Mm. Yeah, if the what measure of success. If the measure of success is, am I um, maintaining speech fluency, that kind of shuts out some other possible measures of success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about, I, I think I said this in the, the article that I wrote, um, as speech and language pathologists, we often, well, we are taught to reinforce the behaviors you want to see. So, you know, wow, good job. You really nailed your R sound. Your tongue was in exactly the right spot. It gets a little more complicated for stuttering because if we're saying, wow, that was really smooth or you hardly stuttered at all. I think there's this layered message of Stuttering is bad. Fluency is good. And that's 
that's really laden with a lot of, I guess, ableism and shame and just, um, it's a, it's a, it's a message that's really, really being questioned by people who stutter, by researchers who have studied the impact of hiding your stuttering. Um, and so I really think that that's a part of the message when I was writing, writing the article. I was thinking about, you know, just generalist SLP who is really doing good work, really has excellent intentions and might have some paradigms that it's time to just take a pause and think about, oh, what is the message I'm sending to this child? Is it being fluent is the best thing? Um, if that's not the message I want to send, how do I unpack that? How do I look at change that I can measure, change that I can reinforce, but not limiting it to fluency or you used your technique, so you were more fluent. Mm -hmm. And you know, you uh, you, you know, uh, you you also mentioned, you know, you you also mentioned in your article that, you know, based on this messaging, uh, the you know, a, a, a speech a speech language pathologists have to be very careful not to. Uh, uh, portray or, or you know, or or, or you know, or, or, or insinuating that uh, that uh, a stuttering needs to be fixed. You know what I mean? That you know that that you know stuttering, as as you were saying earlier, is, is stuttering is bad, fluency is is good. So 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 so, so I think this is another uh, uh, fine like a, a fine fine tuned area that. Speech language pathologist has to be careful of that. You know, people, you know, people who stutter do not need to be fixed. Whereas we, as people who stutter, sometimes feel that we need to be fixed. What are your, your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think I think fluency is a fickle goal and a fickle thing. Um, what I hear from people who stutter. Um, whether it's someone I know personally or whether it's what I've read, is that this good days, bad days paradigm happens for a lifetime. So if I say, Greg, when you're having a good, fluent day, you're a successful human being, mm -hmm. that there's, ju there's just a lot in there, right? But if I say, wow, Greg, you are living as a person who stutters and you, you introduced yourself without doing the point to the ceiling thing that you used to do. You disclosed that you were a person who stutters. You, you're hosting a podcast, for heaven's sakes, right? Look at how courageous that is in terms of not letting stuttering keep you from doing these things that are such an important and powerful part of what you bring to the world. So I think if we can look more at those behaviors as, you know, what you're not avoiding or chances that you're taking in terms of positive communication, um, self-empowerment, those seem like less fickle things to reinforce and, and frankly, more important things to reinforce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. True, Janet, uh, uh, definitely. So, so uh, like uh, to to actually look at fluency. I mean, the the F word. I call it the F word as well. Fluency. <laughs> <laughs> that so it's it's almost like a reframing. Like, and and this is something that uh, people who stutter and others with with communication challenges that we have to really sort of you know reevaluate or reframe what we mean by fluency. So, yeah. so, so, okay. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, no, it's going to ask, ask your thoughts on that. Is fluency a bad word? Should we even be using it? Yeah, I, there's been a recent um, paper that came out, and it was, um, I think it was Yaros and Constantino that wrote in one of the ASHA journals um, about fluency and the history of the word. Um, and use of fluency 
and they they really are sorry it's Tichner, constantino and yaros i want to give full credit to everyone involved um so i think that that is such an important conversation and um in terms of i'm very comfortable talking about stuttering versus fluency disorder um the pause i have is there there are other categories of fluency disorders like cluttering or um, fluency disruptions because of a neurological condition. And so I, I haven't quite wrestled with what do we do with those things that aren't stuttering, but they're related to disruptions in the flow of speech. So let's just put that in a box to the side. <laughs> I want to just acknowledge <laughs> the complexity of that. Um, but in terms of of stuttering versus fluency disorders, um, I'm I'm fully in support of courses being renamed to be about stuttering versus fluency disorders, or even I know um, Kristen Camilla has shifted some of the language she uses. Uh, she's a speech pathologist who's very prominent in the, the U.S. Um, and she's shifted the way she describes herself um, away from using the word fluency. And so I, th I think that's a positive thing to talk about stuttering, not fluency, because just using that term of fluency, um, it really does drive, drive the therapeutic message towards increasing fluency, increasing smoothness of speech. And again, it returns us to that sort of centering of not stuttering good stuttering bad and i think that's a flawed paradigm mm -hmm. when you know uh, uh, what uh, feedback have you received from your colleagues since uh, since publishing this you know this column what, what was the feedback been like um you know, generally quite positive. Um, I have a couple of close colleagues who are, are very involved with autism and um, there's some parallel changes going on in terms of thinking about neurodiversity as a difference versus a disorder. And so I think some of, some of that, again, it's, we've had some interesting conversations just learning from each other's um, areas of focus. Um, I did have a couple of, of colleagues who don't do stuttering um, remark, oh, I haven't, I, I, I can see that some things have changed from when I did my training and when I learned about stuttering initially. So I think just starting to kind of acknowledge that, wow, we are on this, this kind of journey as a field and as a society and how we think about perfect speech, um, and people with communication differences, again, including stuttering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, uh, Jen, I'm, I'm wondering as well now, like uh, stuttering, there, there's, you know, there, there's, uh, there, there's grief associated with stuttering. Because stuttering, I mean, there, there's a definite loss, I mean, based on my experience as well. Because we, you know, we, you know, we're not, we are not a, a, a we are not what they call a normal uh, fluent speaker sort of thing. And so, so I think there's, there's a loss there that, and uh, this, you know, this loss has to be acknowledged. It's almost like going through the stages of grief. You know, uh, like I am not going to be a normal person. So that's that's moving towards self-acceptance and being authentic. Your your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's that's so important, Greg, and it's challenging because there's this tension between I call it both and, right? There's this incredible loss and this incredible um, often frustration of living with a stutter. And there's incredible potential um, if a person can start to own their voice. And it, it's, tr it's tricky. I, f I find this, I return to this with a lot of um, 
differences, whether it's disability, whether it's race, whether it's communication, um, you don't want to minimize the experience of the person. You know, I can't fully understand the person, the experience of what it is like to live as a person who stutters. I'm not a person who stutters. And so I can understand that from an empathetic lens. I'm not living that 100%. And I, I would be mistaken to claim that I fully, fully understand that. So I think there is some acknowledgement of just, there's grief and there's loss. Um, and there's this um, kind of walking with that. Uh, one of one really powerful experience I had was I was going to a just a training session on dialectical behavioral therapy and I feeling badly that I can't think of the names of the presenters so I, I apologize for that but um, these individuals one was a person who stutters one was a psychotherapist and I'm interested in the topic I'm sitting there I'm a specialist in stuttering. The person who stuttered started out, and I don't know if intentionally or, or not, but just really severe stuttering. And the first thoughts that ran through my mind, and I'm incredibly embarrassed to even say it, I was like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a long training, <laughs> right? And I feel yeah. horrible and embarrassed. And yet I tell that story to my students because I think that, there's a piece of that that acknowledges the the it's a difficult communication interaction, right? But the second part of that story was this person had really identified themselves as here's me, here are things about me. Stuttering is one of those things. And this person had embraced, I'm sure through many years of work, had embraced this idea of um of acceptance and commitment therapy, which is, I don't have to like that I stutter, um, but I don't need to let it define me either, right? So it's a thing I'm walking with. It's maybe right beside me. Maybe it's on my shoulder. Maybe it's in the back seat of the car. Um, I don't need to let it drive. And I think that's a really healthy place to get to. And throughout that um, training, when I started to realize how much that individual had owned their stuttering and just how they had conceptualized it. I really started to understand um, the topic, which was the, the acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, but also it was just, um, just one example that I think was a really powerful illustration for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, uh, listening to you talk about the, the you know, the you know, the, the ex acceptance and commitment therapy is it's called ACT by Russ Harris. Am I correct? Yes. Russ Harris. Yes. So you know, so a speech language pathologist about the you know, the you know. The analogy to my attention, I, I and and I. Uh, it, and I think it's you know this is by Russ Harris as well. She you know she talked about the beach ball analogy. You know, like when you know when a person who stutters is trying to hide the stuttering is almost similar to you know trying to push a beach ball in the water all the time. You know, and and just you know just just thinking of how much time and energy that takes just to push this beach ball in in the water and i thought that, you know this this was an appropriate uh, analogy for you know people who are covert and and or overt stutterers yeah. your thoughts janet on that i that's a new analogy for me but i i really like that a lot um yeah you can just really see the effort that it would take to hide versus if you're just pushing the beach ball along on the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it is me. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 she you know, she she you know, she quotes uh, quotes you know Russ Harris. So I think he 
he has he has to take credit here. I think I'm not too sure. Uh, uh, you know, you know, there, there's you know, there's uh, there, you know, there's a history of uh, speech language pathologists that no, you know, based on what I've been hearing, uh, uh, talking to you know, talking to other SLPs that uh, uh, like students or like uh, there, there's a number of SLPs that tend to shy away from stuttering because of all the emotional component. Is, is that, do you feel that that paradigm is changing a shift? Um, maybe yes and no. I think um, I'm, I'm preparing a workshop with a colleague um, for our, our state association and it's on person-centered therapy. And so in our preparation, I think that, that there can be a couple of challenges. Um, some people are really interested in doing more with feelings, thoughts, with those sort of non-speech parts, um, but aren't sure how to measure that. So that can be one stumbling block. I think there are others who wonder, okay, when am I moving from my profession of speech to doing something else that's outside of my scope of practice? Um, looking at the definitions of stuttering, most of the modern definitions will say stuttering is, and then they'll define the experience of stuttering, not just the moment of stuttering. And so it's this experience of disruption, loss of control, um, speech disfluency. So that would suggest, and ASHA supports that, ASHA's our American Speech and Hearing Association. ASHA would support that, um, that doing holistic treatment is appropriate um, if the thoughts and the feelings and the patterns are related to the communication difference, that's absolutely within the scope of practice. So I think some of it's comfort level. Again, some of it's that stickiness of how do I measure change here? Um, and then some of it's just really feeling confident that I'm maintaining an appropriate scope of practice and not straying from from my training. Hmm. As people who stutter, what can we do to support the speech language pathologists? What 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 you know? What can we do? I think things like the podcasts that are out there, like what you're doing right now, just having conversations. Um, whether it's a conversation about stuttering or whether it's just adding voices um, of people who are not perfectly fluent, just like let's let's make the the sort of range of what's considered acceptable um, broader, right? So um, it used to be that with newscasters there wasn't a tolerance of non standardized Midwestern accents. Um, and now there's a huge shift and quite a huge value of that. Um, I think in the area of communication differences or disordered communication, at least historically speaking, um, we're still, we're, we still have room to go in terms of being used to hearing voices of people who stutter, being used to that as a piece of normal. So I think keep telling your stories. I think keep, whether that's writing them, whether that's doing podcasts. I've heard some slam poetry that is just super inspiring. There's some beautiful art that kind of illustrates maybe what, what is the experience of stuttering. And I think all of those things inform speech pathologists in terms of, okay, what might we do on the front end that's going to be leading to successful life outcomes. Um, and second, I think it just really informs society of, you know, here, here is something that, you know, one in a hundred people are, are living with um, a stutter. And so I, I think just the visibility, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. um, and as I'm saying that, I'm, pa I'm pausing a little bit because I think it's not fully the responsibility of people who stutter to change society. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to send that message. Um, 
those of us who are in the profession, I think, have a voice that can be trusted as we talk about stuttering, because for better or for worse, we can be presumed to have some expertise. Um, so I think there's some responsibility for those of us in the profession. And then I think just other um, allies who may not stutter, but can start amplifying the voices of people who are fluent or not fluent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What thoughts do you have on that? What, what do you think will help speech pathologists or and or changing the societal climate? Well, I, I oh, 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 I agree with what you're saying as well, Jenna. Because I mean, this you know this podcast is 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 new to new you know Newfoundland because when I uh, uh, retired and moved to to you know to Newfoundland, which you know you know which is my home, you know I you know I retired in. in uh, 2017, and you know, and, and and I was living in Toronto at the time, and uh, you know, like uh, you know, I was very fortunate to uh, to have to have received you know to you know to you know to have received speech in speech therapy in Toronto, and so you know, so I so I had a lot of support in in in, in Toronto, but but you know, when I moved to New plan, you know. I started to investigate, you know, what you know, what you know, what supports are available in in Newfoundland and Labrador for people who stutter. And so, so I was, you know, you know, I was surprised that there was, you know, there's, you know, there's not, there's very little support or acknowledgement of stuttering. And 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 this, you know, this, you know, this, you know, this is no, you know, this is no disrespect to speech language pathologists. We have a number in Newfoundland. Not that many, but we need more. And uh, so, uh, so I thought to myself, you know, let's you know, let's you know, you know, let's let's start bringing stuttering to the lens of uh, Newfoundlanders. And uh, so, you know, you know, so you know, so I started to walk and run here in Newfoundland. It's called it is called a million things I need to say, a million things I need to say because people start to have a million things they they need to say. And you know, so uh, that you know, so this is in our fourth year, and so so we all, we also you know with you know, with the support of the you know a passionate group of volunteers, you know, you know we also started the Newfoundland Labrador Studying Association, and uh, you know we also you know uh, started and started some sort of live podcast. So I think that you know, so as people say, we need to be more visible. Uh -huh. And uh, being more visible, meaning that we need to step out of our comfort zone, and uh, because it's it's so easy. Because I think w once we challenge ourselves, we we sort of you know become more fully alive, you know. But we also sort of, you know, teach the public. So I think we have responsibility, a large responsibility to 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 teach the public about stuttering to actually bring the stuttering under the lens of government. Uh, in, in, in Newfoundland as well, in Labrador, we also need more supports for, you know, supports not only for ourselves, but for our families, but also our speech language pathologists, teachers as well, because because I feel that because uh, studying is under the lands of the, of, of the government, where the people study are losing out as well. And, so, and, and the speech language pathologists, they, they need additional support for training, Teachers, so so I think we have responsibility to be more visible, and 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 that's scary. That's scary because we're really, you know, you know, we're you know, you know, we're actually moving out of our comfort zone, <clears throat> and uh, we, you know, we, you know, we also need more as as SLPs like yourself, Janet, who are allies who are being vocal about it. I um, I I love how you <coughs> kind of didn't see what you thought should be there and really took steps to be a part of creating um, opportunities, messaging, training. I, I really admire that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, uh, you know, not to hold, hold you up in any more agenda, but thanks a lot for your, your time. But now, do, do you have any questions for me or any, any comments or anything?
Um, well, I was thinking of two two final things. One for SLPs, um, for the SLPs that are listeners, um, maybe you are new to doing stuttering. Maybe you feel like some of the treatment you've done in the past has been heavily speech focused and you're looking to, to change. And I would say, um, I would encourage you to focus on do the next, do the next right thing. Um, I don't think it's worth spending a lot of time thinking about the things you wish you had done in the past. So I think if you're moving forward on a paradigm, keep learning. There are lots of communities of people who are thinking about and learning about person-centered approaches. So seek that, keep focusing forward. Um, the second piece that I would say, um, this is a message for myself and other listeners who are interested in being allies, I think keep thinking about who might benefit from knowing a little more about stuttering. And for me, um, I think about we have a strong criminal justice training program. And so officers of the law, that's something that's important for them to have on their radar, communication differences in general, and stuttering is one of those. Um, there are some initiatives. I believe John Gomez has been involved uh, with some colleagues with training uh, interviewing practices at businesses, some of the larger Silicon Valley businesses, and really having people aware of what might be the experience of someone who stutters in that interviewing. So I think that we have all kinds of peripheral people in our world that we as speech and language pathologists or people who know something about stuttering and person-centered approaches um, can really just look for opportunities to continue to have a voice. Mm. Uh, for uh, 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 our listening uh, uh, audience, uh, Janet, would you, know, would you explain the differences between uh, communication differences in communication disorders. I, I, I don't, it may just be linguistics. <laughs> so there's that. His, <laughs> okay. Historically, again, this probably harkens back to that medical model. Historically, there's been quote unquote normal communication and then a communication disorder might be um, initially resulting from something like a, a a stroke or a, a neurological insult. And so that was one of the origins of, of my field was thinking about people who had, again, quote unquote, normal communication, something happened, their communication changed. And so that led us into some of this uh, normal versus disordered language. Um, it's mm. for people who are born with um, a communication disorder or difference, I'm becoming less comfortable with the term disorder and I'm sort of sliding towards communication difference or um, a condition. So like living with stuttering, I think it's living with the condition of stuttering. Um, but I still have a bit of that legacy in my language or I think whether for clarity or whether it's just hanging on, I'll sometimes use difference and disorder interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, and uh, and uh, thank you again, uh, Janet, for writing your article because uh, you know because uh, you know I I, I I learned learned a lot and. Uh, and and as I mentioned, you know, I have to find it very, you know, refreshing to to read that that you know that the speech language pathologists are shifting paradigms, they're moving towards a more like uh, in embracing the, the you know the whole person of a person who stutters, knowing just just the actual physical aspect of stuttering, but the emotional, psychological. Oh, and so, so, so there's a whole different, there's a whole definite positive shift in paradigms. Well, so Greg, the, thank you again for writing it. 
you're very welcome. And this has been just such a pleasure to have a conversation with you and to hear about your work. I kind of made some side notes to myself of things I want to look up that you're doing or have done in the past. So really just such a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Well, well, you know, we will have have you back again to, you know, to continue the conversation, Janet. I would love that, Greg. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again for your time and enjoy your sabbatical. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye. Some Stutterla is hosted by Greg O'Grady. It is produced, recorded, and edited by Paul Decker, as well as Luca Dini, who, by the way, wrote this jazzy theme music. Leah Bugden and Alicia Megason command our pages on Instagram and TikTok. You can listen to or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Spotify. Video versions of each episode are found on our YouTube page. Some stutter luck is a production of the Communication Collaborative.